Let's go ahead and turn our attention uh, to the Word of God this morning. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn to Micah. It's um, one of the prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. Um, We're going to be reading Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 this morning. And if you're able, would you please stand with me out of respect for God's Word uh, as Pam uh, reads for us uh, this morning. All right, good morning, Central Christian Church. Today we're reading Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, old man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Thank you. You may have a seat. Thanks, Pam. Go ahead and pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, We've already had opportunity to praise your name. We've had opportunity to be reminded of the work of your son, Jesus, as we take communion and as we remember uh, the sacrifices that he has made for us. And Lord, now we turn to your word and um, Lord, just uh, want to pray that as we look to your word, Lord, you would open our eyes by your spirit. Uh, Father, that every time we open your word, it's profitable for us it, it, and it's useful for us. And, and I pray, Father, that that work is done in each of us by your spirit over the next couple of moments. Certainly, Lord, that um, you would help me to be faithful, uh, to communicate your word with clarity. Um, But, Father, we also just pray that you would also help us to receive your word because it it oftentimes calls us to things that are uncomfortable. Um, And yet, Lord, I believe we're here, many people are here this morning because we truly and genuinely want to be faithful. And so, Lord, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you give us ears to hear? Father, would you give us eyes to see? Would you help us uh, to submit ourselves to your decrees, to walk in your ways, to follow your law, to follow your ways in everything that you call us to do? Um, Lord, I pray and ask these things in your name. Amen. So uh, you might recognize up on the screen, this is a picture of uh, something you're, you're probably very familiar with. It's this, a statue of Lady Justice. This is a, an icon in our culture. And if you've seen this, you've seen it all over um, like places like the Supreme Court and our ju- judicial system and all those types of places because this um, statue, this image, Lady Justice represents the idea of justice in our culture particularly. And when we think about it in this day and age, we tend to think of it in in kind of the context of a courtroom, right? Uh, where someone it does something wrong and they're taken into a courtroom and there's a group of people who um, hopefully, blindly, are trying to weigh the scales of whether or not that person is guilty and then uh, kind of giving them a sentence if they are found guilty. Like that's kind of our perception of the idea of justice within our day and within our world. Now, uh, if you have watched the news over the past several years, you know that there's been new ideas of justice that ventured into our culture. Uh, You've probably heard terms like social justice or social justice warrior where uh, people are looking into the culture and into the society and they're seeing areas that they don't love, areas that they don't feel are like are fair and that are good and and they become overly zealous to try to bring some kind of change to those things. Now we could argue for those that would call themselves a social justice warrior that those topics or those issues are valid ones, but their heart is is to try to bring about some kind of, of fairness in the world. Well, when we get to a text like Micah, 
And, and through the prophet Micah, the Lord calls us to, to do justice, to seek justice, to, uh, to be that kind of a people. It's important for us to understand this idea of justice in God's word is not like the kind of justice that we just talked about. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much broader than just what we would consider to be like courtroom justice. In fact, it's something that takes place over all aspects, aspects of our life. And my hope is for us today, on this really special day, because if you don't know, this is Sanctity of Life on Sunday. It's a day where we're to be mindful of uh, the tragedy of abortion and all the things that have happened in that. And we understand that there's wounds for people that have uh, gone through that process and have come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result, and you're still wrestling with that. But on this day, my hope is that as we as the church look at this issue of justice, that we walk away with a clear picture of what God's idea of justice is, and what it isn't, and then what we're called to do as people of God to intervene into areas of injustice. And so for me, I think that has to start with us kind of understanding the concept and the idea of justice. Now, listen, this can be a really deep, really complex issue. And so I want to give us an illustration that I personally found tremendously helpful. Just so you know, I didn't come up with this. Um, I actually saw this from R.C. Sproul. Uh, he, he gave this analogy or this illustration to kind of help walk through an understanding of justice. But um, basically, it's this idea um, that if you imagine a circle um, with kind of everything in it that was intended to be, that's justice. And so think about everything in this creation, or in creation. Think of, of Eden, right? Um, and so relationships in the Garden of Eden were exactly the way they were supposed to be. The world was exactly the way it was supposed to be. Communication was exactly the way it was supposed to be. Um, our bodies were exactly the way they were supposed to be. Like that concept of everything falling into its place and being the way that it was supposed to be is the idea of justice. That everything in is, is in its right order. Then nothing, the sin never would have come in. Then, then, then justice would have been something we would see all the time working itself out in every part of our lives, in every part of our world, at all times, without any question. Like, be nice to have lived in such a world, right? right? And here's the thing, we as Christians, we have the hope that it's coming again, but right now we know that that is not the case. But the idea of justice is simply this. It's the application of righteousness in every single part of God's creation. It's the application of righteousness. Like you hear that term, righteousness, right? It's kind of a churchy word. It simply means the idea of exactly the way God intended it to be. It's right. It's right. So it's God's righteousness, God's right way working itself out in everything, Everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, the way that we um, kind of order our lives, living underneath the one king who made all things. This application of righteousness, as God created it and as he intended it to be, takes into consideration and should take into consideration the care and the protection and the benefit of everything in creation. So, so God's idea of justice goes way beyond the courtroom. Like it goes way beyond the courtroom, and it goes way beyond anything that our law would say is right or wrong, right? Now, it includes those things like stealing, right? That's not the way it's supposed to be, therefore that's not justice, but it goes beyond that. Like it even goes into the way we're supposed to engage in creation. So let me give you an example. 
In Leviticus chapter 25, we have a very strange law that's given to the people, right? Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. So here's the thing. God made land to have rest. Now, if y'all are farmers, you know that's true, right? Like if, you, if you don't give the land its rest, sooner or later it will become useless. Right? God intended the land to have rest. And so if we want to act in just ways, if we want to act righteously, then we apply God's intent to even our farming. Now, I use that as an example But we know that this obviously means all kinds of areas in our life, like every area of our life. And so you think about that circle, right? Everything ended up being the way that it's supposed to be. Well, here's the thing. Everything or anything that's outside of that circle would be considered non-justice. And you think that's a strange term. Well, let me explain why that's a strange term. I use it because there's actually two different types of non-justice. One of those types is the one we tend to think of the most often, which is the idea of injustice, which is the absence of God's righteousness. Right? So it's the absence of God's righteousness, the absence of God's right way. Anything and everything that we do that is not the way God intended it to be is injustice. It's unjust. So again, take the land, for example. If you're a farmer and you decide, I'm not going to give the land its Sabbath, or I'm not going to do the rotation of crops that I should do for the land, like, then it will ultimately break down and become broken. Listen, we see injustice everywhere, don't we? Like, do we not see that it's not God's way what's happening in Israel and Gaza? Like, that's not God's way. It's not God's way what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. It's not God's way what so often happens in our political realms. It's not God's way when we see something like like divorce happen. It's not God's way when these things come into our lives. It's not God's way when marriages break down. It's not God's way when we get involved in drunkenness or greed or materialism or hate or envy or theft or murder or hundreds of other things that go on in our lives. Each of those is injustice. It's not the way it was intended to be. In some ways, even though nobody goes to jail for it, right? Like it's even an injustice when we aren't able to communicate with one another because it's not the way it's intended to be. These are injustices. Now, abortion, of course, is one of those injustices. It's unjust because God's rightness, God's righteousness is absent in those circumstances. God's rightness is absent in the killing of an innocent life. It's not the way it's intended to be, ever. But we would also say that it's absent in the case of a pregnancy that was created by a tragic event like a rape. 
It's also absent when a pregnancy happens outside of wedlock. God's intent is absent when uh, we choose not to have a baby because of our own selfishness. God's uh, righteousness and rightness is absent even when there's brokenness in our bodies that create a life and death type of circumstances. That is not the way it's God, that God wanted it to be. It's an injustice. It's not right. Now, most injustice comes from us, doesn't it? It comes from us not bearing the image of our creator. And instead, what we tend to do and what we by nature do is we bear our own self-image, our own self-rule, our own selfishness. So that's the category of injustice. Anything that is not the way it's supposed to be is unjust. It's unjust. That's non-justice. But do you notice there's another category of non-justice? And in this, as R.C. Sproul would say, anything where we grant mercy is also a non-justice. Why? Because mercy is not giving you what you deserve. We all love that kind of non-justice, don't we? Like we, we need that kind of non-justice. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of non-justice. God chooses not to give us what we deserve. Every single one of us in this morning, or this morning woke up and experienced the sun rising. That's mercy. Like we don't deserve that. We don't deserve it because we live lives in the category of injustice. Like we don't live in the circle of justice and so we're all guilty of that and so we need the mercy of God and his mercy is everywhere. It's everywhere. Now, Romans 6 says this. This is why we need his mercy. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like mercy is not giving us what we deserve, which is death. But this also reminds us, and it tells us, that in the idea of justice, whenever you step outside of that main circle of living life in the ways that God intended you to be, and the way God intended us to be, that, that something has to take, happen. Debts have to be paid when we step out of that. Debts have to be paid. So go back to our illustration for a second. Everyone and everything that is within this circle of non-justice has to pay the debt that they owe when they can account for some sort of an injustice, right? So let, let's take an example that very few people would argue about. Um, let, let's take um, Adolf Hitler, for example, right? Like Adolf Hitler, like he experienced the non-justice of mercy, did he not? Because every day he woke up, Every day he got to eat good food, he got to experience friendships and rest, and got to experience the goodness of wealth and what comes from some of that. Um, like Adolf Hitler experienced mercy, which we'd say, God, why would you do that? But he did. But Adolf Hitler also experienced and committed com tremendous injustice, did he not? Tremendous injustice. And had Hitler not killed himself at the end of World War II, then he would have been brought before a war crimes trial, and, and, and he would have been tried. And he would have been found guilty, and he would have been then asked to pay a debt to society. Right? Now, here's the thing. You think, is that where it ends? No. Because that's not his debt. His debt isn't just to society. His debt is to God. 
So Hitler thinks he's escaping the debt that he had to society. He's escaping justice only to find himself that when he ended his life, he was right before the one that he was ultimately owed the debt to because he was walking in ways God did not want him to walk. But here's the beauty of this whole reality is that we have Jesus. And Jesus, he comes to pay the debt for our injustice. He comes to pay the debt of our unrighteousness. And not only do we have mercy, we are now afforded grace by the cross. Now, grace is giving us something that we don't deserve. So mercy is not getting something that we do deserve. Grace is giving us something we don't deserve. None of us deserve to be brought back into relationship with God, and yet he does it through Jesus. None of us deserve to have our sins forgiven, and yet he does it through Jesus. None of us have uh, deserved to have the favor of God, and yet you can have the favor of God through Jesus. Amen? And we don't deserve it. That's grace, and it all comes through the work of Jesus Christ. We are under grace. We have had our debt paid because of his love for us, and we didn't deserve it. And this whole text in Micah starts with the question, like, with what shall I come before the Lord? Because Micah recognizes his debt. And so he starts asking questions, well, well should, I, should I bow myself before the God on high? And the answer is like, no, that's not good enough. Well, okay, fine. Well, how about um, calves a year old or thousands of rams or rivers of oil? Is that going to be enough? No, that's not going to be enough. Okay, fine. I see my debt to God and I want to make it reconciled. I want to make it right. What, what if I even give my firstborn? The answer is no. There's nothing you can do to pay the debt you owe God. Nothing. And then Micah says, and we hear the Lord say, well, here's what I do want you to do. I want you to do justice and walk humbly and, and love kindness. Here's my question. Can any of us do that in and of ourselves? No. So it feels hopeless, doesn't it? Except the gospel tells us that God gave his firstborn to pay our debt. God gave his firstborn to pay our debt. And then here's what's beautiful about this reality. is now because of what he has done, because of the work that he's done, he begins to make us new creations. See, we were made in the image of God. That's one of the things that gives those little babies such value. They're made in the image of God. But by our nature, we walk not by his image, but we bear our own selfish image, don't we? Like, we do what's right in our own eyes, not what's right in God's eyes. We, by nature, want to do what's right in our own eyes. And Jesus comes, and not only does he give us mercy, but he gives us grace. And he helps us, by the work of the Spirit in us, to die to our self-image and make us into the image of Jesus Christ. This is exactly what Romans chapter 8 says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. See, as we're conformed, guess what we can do now? Justice. Because of the power of the Spirit in us, we now can live our lives and we can actually do justice because we can walk in his ways through the help of the Spirit of God that's in our hearts. Because we've been loved. 
We can walk humbly in our lives because we truly believe that his way is better. And so here's why this matters for us as we talk about justice. Because our desire to remedy injustices cannot come from just the sense of duty. Our desire, when we look upon the injustice of this world, to see that fixed has to come from the recognition that he, in grace, paid our debts first and has brought us into a place where we can not only bring about justice in our lives, but we get to experience it in our own lives. Like it should be a work out of love it should be a work out of a passion and a desire to see God's glory and to see his justice reign on this earth. This is a calling for every single one of us who has been made new in Jesus Christ to be faithful to intervene. Whenever we do not see God's righteous and just ways in our lives, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our city, in the lives of our country, in the lives of our world, like we are called to bring God's righteousness, to apply his righteousness and justice in full force to that situation, to seek it. And if you think, well, oh, that sounds really complex, and I don't, I don't think this is really about me, and this isn't really something I feel called to do, listen, this is a command for every single one of us as God's people, as he says in Jeremiah chapter 22. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. My brothers and sisters, this isn't something we can just lay down and say, well, that's, I'm, that's not something I'm called to do. You have been saved, and you have been given a calling to do justice and righteousness. The massive question is this, how? How do we intervene? When we look upon a situation like abortion, which is so massive and is clearly not the way God intended it to be and has so many dynamics and so many wounds and so many different things that we could engage in or not engage in, like how do you intervene in that? Like what can we do? I think the best place for us to start is to simply ask this question. What did Jesus do? Not WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? It's the principles of Jesus' life that should guide us when we think about how do we intervene into areas that we see um, the lack of God's righteousness. What are those principles? What did Jesus do? When Jesus saw the injustices that were happening in this world, what did he do? Well, first he gave of himself to the point of going to the cross. That's why we celebrate communion, right? Like, I broke my body for you, spilled his blood for you. Like, he went to the cross, he laid his life down. Are you willing to do the same when you see injustice? Are you willing to lay your life down? As much as we hate the injustice of abortion, are we willing to intervene in a way that costs us something. 
Do you know I genuinely believe this when it comes to injustice, whether it's abortion or poverty or anything else, you cannot intervene unless it costs you something. It costs Jesus' life. When you see that, will you intervene by saying, okay, fine, I, I, I'll give some of my own finances to help support a mom who doesn't think she can support this child on her own? Would you intervene by bringing a young pregnant woman into your home and caring for her and loving her? Would you intervene by adopting a child that's not wanted? Would you intervene by fostering a child? Would you intervene by sitting with a woman who has realized the wound of the abortion that she just had and let her weep upon your shoulders and you be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and, and bring them to the grace that Jesus offers? Will you intervene? Will you intervene by using your voice? Will you intervene in all of these circumstances by, by going to pregnancy crisis centers and spending your time, your treasure, and your talent? And this isn't just about abortion, but it's any injustice. Will you intervene? Will you give of yourself the way Jesus gave for you? See, that's how we can step into injustice. We can be willing to give ourselves. Second, we have to call people to repentance. I think of the woman who was caught in adultery, and she's cast before Jesus, and the Pharisees say, uh, let's, let's stone her, essentially. And Jesus says, who's going to cast the first stone? And after he does this, after Jesus gives mercy to this woman and kindness to her, he tells her, he says, go and sin no more. Like, we can't forget this part. Like, all injustice is caused by sin, all of it, and we need to call people to repentance. Jesus always called out unrighteousness, but he did it with love, and he did it with care, and he did it with tenderness, and he didn't do it. He was pointing to people and screaming at them and telling them they're going to hell. He did it with his presence, and he did it with his, his compassion. Go and sin no more, because he wanted them to find life. What else did Jesus do when he was faced with injustice? Well, he sought to give something new. In the midst of injustice, Jesus doesn't stop at just wanting to return us to how we were before the wrong happened. He wants to lead us to something new. He wants to lead us to a healed and restored state. He doesn't just want to remove the injustice. He wants to bring us uh, or bring about a righteous way in our lives so that you and I and those that experience injustice can experience life. We're told in Scripture about Mary Magdalene, and Mary Magdalene was um, a woman who apparently was possessed by seven demons at one point, um, and, and Jesus cast those demons out. Now, he, we don't know a lot about Mary Magdalene. We don't know how she got those demons. We don't know what she did. We don't know if it was sins in her life that brought those on. We don't know if it was the sins of other people upon her that brought those on. Here's what I can tell you. It was injustice. For her to be possessed by seven demons, like that's injustice. And Jesus cast those demons out, but he didn't just leave Mary to be the way she was before the demons came. He called her to a life to follow him and find life in him. He restored her. And he began to lead her to something entirely new. Like Mary, after the demons were cast out, was not the same Mary before the demons came in. Think of Paul. Paul killed Christians. Paul was a righteous, religious zealot. Like he was the guy, like you want to talk about holier than thou, like Paul was on the top of that list, right? 
And when Jesus knocked him down and revealed his glory to Paul, and Paul came to see Jesus for all that he was, Jesus didn't just um, restore Paul to be what he was before. He made Paul a missionary. Like he made him something totally new. And here's the beauty of this for all of us in this space. He can restore the worst sin that you have ever committed. There's not a single person in here that is beyond Jesus' ability to bring life to that which is dead. To bring life to your poor decisions, to your things of injustice, things you've committed, whether you aborted a child or you did something in your marriage that caused it to fall apart or you were drunk or you abused someone or you hurt someone or you betrayed something, Jesus can restore any of it. That's the beauty of Jesus. Jesus can even restore injustices that are done to you. He doesn't ignore the pain, but brothers and sisters, he can bring life from those ashes. This is the hope that he brings. This is the hope that he gives because Jesus always seeks to give something new. And our calling as we seek to step into, into injustices to intervene is to help people see that Jesus can restore. And then finally, what did Jesus do? Well, he went to them. God didn't wait for us to find him. He came to us. Jesus was the manifestation of an active, pursuing love. He came to seek and save the lost. Not only those that were victims of injustice, but those who had committed injustice. He came to save the worst so that his righteousness could be applied into the lives and into the world in which we live. You know what I love about the disciples? The men that he saved, the 12 men that he saved. You have you had the unjust or unjust tax collector who caused wound and cheated and hurt, and then you had the, same, the people who he cheated and hurt all in the same group of men. And Jesus restored it all because that's the power of our God. But he went to them. He came to us, and that's our call, to go to the places we see where there's injustice. Now, with this, it can feel complicated at times, and I want to give you this encouragement. As you're wrestling with how to do this and enter into your calling, which I hope that you will do, is this. God will never be mad at us for trying to honor him. So here's the thing. Let me just bring this down to like the simple thing. Have you ever been driving down the road and you see the person that's standing at the, end of the, at the side of the street and they're asking for money? And you think to yourself in your mind, like, well, if I give them money, they're probably going to go spend it on this or they're going to go spend it on that. And, and, and so I don't really feel like I should give that. And so you kind of get to this question of like, well, what's the right way to help or what's the wrong way to help? Well, here's the deal. Anything you do in the power of the Spirit seeking to honor God is not going to make him mad at you. Like if you choose to give money to that person and that person goes and spends it on food, praise God. If he doesn't, that's not on you. God's not going to stand before, you're not going to stand before the judgment seat and have him be like, you know, if you'd only known that that person was going to go um, spend that on drugs and now you're in trouble. Like that's not who our God is. So here, here's the question that I would tell you or here's the thing I would tell you. If you feel God has called you to intervene, do it. 
do you ever think God will condemn you or be mad at you because you sought to adopt a child? To care for the fatherless? To care for the widow? To care for a hurting soul? Like, is he ever going to be like, well, man, I really wish you hadn't done that? We get so paralyzed because we're afraid we're going to make God mad that we do nothing. When in reality, we're just called to do something. Just something. God's not going to be upset with us. He's not going to be mad at us. In fact, he'll honor that. And I genuinely believe that when we do that with a heart of compassion and care, carrying the principles that we've talked about today, he will bless our desire to intervene in whatever injustice he calls us to. You might ask the question, well, when do I do it? When do I intervene? Well, I would say this, whenever we can. I'm going to read this text out of Hebrews Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The minute the Spirit of God enters into you, brothers and sisters, you have everything you need to intervene in the injustices around you. Because it's the Spirit that equips you. It's the Spirit that guides you. Like, you don't have to wait until you get studied or until you get a, you know, get a, a PhD in something. Like, you're, you're called to intervene, not in your own skills, not in your own abilities, but simply because the Spirit of God is in you. Imagine if, if Peter, as he was walking into the temple, saw the lame beggar standing there, didn't, didn't intervene because he thought, oh, you know what, I can't help the lame beggar because I don't have a medical degree. No, no, he recognized the Spirit of God was in him, and so he went to the lame beggar and said, rise up and walk. Like oftentimes we just don't move because we're afraid we're not going to have the, equi- the equipping to do it. You don't. You'll never be good enough to do something for the Lord without the Spirit. So stop waiting. But the second the Spirit's in you, then you're equipped to step in. Now again, this doesn't to me be foolish. It's not to be careless. We're to be wise. We're to do things among community, um, to, to care for people in a community. But nonetheless, like it is the Spirit of God who equips you to step in and to ste- equips you uh, to intervene. So the question is this. When you see a space of injustice, and we're talking specifically today about the issue of abortion, when you look at that, the question that should be on your mind is how can I intervene and bring the righteousness of God into this situation? Help me, Lord Jesus. How can I bring righteousness into this situation? Help me, Lord Jesus. This is a calling for all of us. I want to introduce you to somebody. Um, I want to introduce you to Mary Wilkinson uh, as Mary was on her way up. Um, Mary is a member of uh, Central Christian Church. Uh, her and her husband have been members here for quite a while. And I want to spend some time with Mary um, because um, Mary is just like all the rest of us. Um, and yet, God has used her in a lot of ways. Here at Mary, we have a seat over here. Um, there's a mic right there for you. Um, and I wanted to share testimony because I think a lot of times when we come to this space of at, really pondering, 
can we step in? Can we intervene in these types of areas? The question of, well, equipping, and I'm not a pastor, or I'm not this, or I'm not that, can come into play. And so I, I wanted to talk with Mary to help give some testimony to that, also because of the role that she plays um, in specifically the area of injustice with uh, abortion. And so, um, Mary, before you were um, someone who felt the call to intervene in particular, what, what were you doing uh, before you ever stepped into serving the Lord in these ways? Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Good morning, everyone, and uh, thank you for this opportunity, and thank you for giving me an opportunity to just to share my own personal experience. And um, I do have some notes here so I can be intentional about what I say today. Um, so basically, I uh, came from a small farming community. I'm just a farm girl from a small town in north central Kansas. And um, I came to Wichita in 1978 after completing nursing school and uh, went to work in the emergency room at St. Joseph Medical Center, what was back then St. Joseph Medical Center, and worked there for 10 years. Um, and then I decided to retire from nursing so that I could go home and care for my uh, two small children, uh, at that time a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And um, so basically, I was a stay-at-home mom and passing my days, um, you know, preparing meals and changing diapers and nap times and activities with the kids. Um, at that point, uh, I had no intention of getting involved in any causes or, you know, movements, anything like that. Um, I had just become a believer two years before that. And... Um, was questioning really all of my prior beliefs. Um, you know, I don't know if you've all had this experience, but you know, as I studied my Bible, my mind started changing. So um, I was voraciously really consuming uh, Bible study and uh, Christian radio. Back in those days, uh, we listened to the radio instead of podcasts and <laughs> streaming. And uh, nowadays, young moms. That's what they listen to. Kids ask your parents what a radio is like. <laughs> so uh, back then you had to tune in at a certain time of the day to listen to your, you know, favorite programs. And um, I did that. I had the radio on almost all the time because as young mothers know, um, it's difficult, you know, to sit down and just read your Bible, you know, without interruption. So... Um, that's where I first learned about, you know, the sanctity of human life, basically, and what the Bible says about it and uh, why it should be protected. So up until then, I had just believed what the popular culture from the 70s and 80s had taught me, that uh, sex before marriage and abortion were perfectly fine. Um, but the more I studied my Bible, the more my beliefs had to change. So this time was a time of learning about God's character and um, what his plan for human, his human creations were. And um, basically that laid the foundation then for my later pro-life work. So you're a mom at home, mm -hmm. uh, living your life, trying to follow the Lord, be faithful. Um, and then suddenly you found that he called you, which we'll talk about in a little while, kind of how that process happened. But um, so you, you were there. Tell us what you do today. 
Well, I'm still primarily a homemaker, a wife, mother, and now grandmother of um, three very active and fun grandchildren. Um, I, I spend a lot of time with my family and, and with the grandkids. Um, I still love to study my Bible, and now I listen to podcasts instead of the radio. <laughs> Um, and because I am passionate about the injustice of abortion, um, I serve as a volunteer for a, pro, a pro-life nonprofit called Kansans for Life. Uh, right now, I serve as president of the board of directors. Um, our mission is to protect and defend um, the right to life of all innocent humans from uh, conception to natural death. And we focus uh, especially on the preborn and their mothers, uh, the medically fragile and the elderly. Um, so I'm just one member of a team of staff and volunteers who work in three different areas. Uh, one is uh, to change hearts and minds by educating the public. And the second is working to advance uh, compassionate uh, laws that protect the right to life. And Kansans for Life over the years has passed over 30 different laws that do that. Uh, the third is promoting quality candidates uh, for public office and holding them accountable. Using these three uh, strategies, uh, that's how we work to save lives here in Kansas. So Mary, when you were um, quitting your job doing nursing and you started becoming a stay-at-home mom, did you ever anticipate that you would become a president of a board um, for a pro-life movement, and um, like, how have you seen God like bring you to that space? Well, no, I I never anticipated any of where God would take me. Um, I really had a very unremarkable life, and um, and back then, kind of a rebellious heart. And but the good news is, is that God knows us intimately, and um, He knows how to corral a rebellious heart like I had right. and uh, to bring me into his plan for me. Um, by nature, I'm an introvert um, and I really have not been you know, willing to take on these responsibilities, but God knows how to, here again, maneuver you where he wants you. So um, I've never wanted the leadership responsibilities or any of the stuff that he brought me into, but I don't like um, being seen and having to speak in public, so Sorry. here I am. <laughs> and so God must have a really wonderful sense of humor uh, as he ma maneuvered me into the public spotlight back in the Summer of Mercy in 1991. Um, and here again, kind of against my own wishes. <laughs> but uh, during the Summer of Mercy, he placed me in the role, believe it or not, of a media spokesperson for the pro-life community in Wichita. And um, I did on-camera interviews and audio interviews um, with local, state, and national media. I remember even a, a reporter from the Los Angeles Times sitting with me in my kitchen to do an interview. I did a phone interview with MTV one time. It was really kind of an unbelievable experience for me. Um, and then to top it off, God placed me in the role of Master of Ceremonies for the Hope for the Heartland Rally at the end of Summer of Mercy. 
and here again, pretty much against my wishes, <laughs> where I spoke in front of 35,000 people and introduced many uh, national Christian pro-life voices. Um, so when you say yes to God, he will take you to places that you could never imagine. Um, I've never experienced anything close to that since then, um, but it did lay a foundation for what was to come in the future. Um, that summer of mercy, uh, thousands of people uh, came and participated in praise and worship and uh, accompanied by repentance and uh, repentance over our tolerance of abortion, basically. And this was followed by God's people acting in obedience to the call of the Holy Spirit to stand for life. And as a result, many lives were saved that summer. Um, and this is where I learned that prayer is the foundation of pro-life work and really any, mm -hmm. any work that a Christian wants to do. Um, it's God who works in power through us to accomplish really the impossible. Um, one way to see if God is at work is to see what fruit does it produce. And uh, as a result of the summer of mercy, uh, many lives were saved that summer because we were able to shut down the abortion clinics for several weeks. And um, several careers were launched. Ministries that still exist today were launched, uh, including HopeNet and Choices. Uh, several individuals from our church ran for office and over the years have made a, a big difference uh, passing laws. And so basically one thing I can tell you for sure is uh, if God does call you, he will not leave you. He will equip you along the way as he did for me. Um, I couldn't even imagine doing any of the things that I did, but he, he enabled it, you know. Um, the summer of mercy for me was like riding a tsunami wave. Uh, but the Holy Spirit was moving on the hearts of thousands of people, and many of those stepped up and helped me along the way. Well, and now today, likewise, I never anticipated that God would place me in my current role with Kansans for Life. One thing I can tell you, it has never been boring. So why did you ultimately answer the call to intervene? Well, um, back in the day, um, my best friend was involved with KFL, and she invited me to volunteer with her on the board of the local affiliate. So it was really just, you know, um, I believed in the cause. I mean, I, I knew the basic information. I was convinced that ac action needed to be taken. Um, but that invitation is, is the reason that I started. Um, I was still a new Christian at that time and um, still early, early in my study of God's word. Um, later, I realized it was a calling from God, and now it's become my life's work, basically. Um, over many years, my heart was broken as um, I studied my Bible, and I saw two things. God's plan for uh, his plan and purpose for his human creations. Even uh, in the womb, he, he's already got a plan for your life. Um, and the other thing is God hates the unjust taking of human life, starting with uh, Cain killing Abel and then on through the sacrifice of children that happened in Old Testament times. So as far as our current day goes, um, 
we're truly engaging in the human rights struggle of our time. Um, and I think that, you know, my study of the Bible helped me to align my heart with where God's heart was. And, and that's, I don't know, that is the key, I think, is all of us should be seeking what is God's heart on all these issues. And the Bible is so comprehensive, it, mm -hmm. it tells us everything. Um, so the other thing is this issue does affect every one of us. We all, we, we know family, friends, neighbors who've been affected by abortion. Um, and I know from experience that many women um, feel pressure to have an abortion from those around them. Um, many times she's just looking for encouragement and support and hope. And um, I know one of my dearest Christian friends um, who went through this experience, she told me that she felt like she had to do it, that she had no choice. And when she got to the abortion clinic, she just wanted to run and get out of there. Um, I've had women in church come up to me and, and tell me about an abortion that they had years ago in secret. And they're still obviously devastated and grieving over that. So the church, we need to be the place where these women can come to and find um, healing for these circumstances that, that happen in, in our lives. Amen. We have a lot of whacking wounded in our churches and um, they need to find forgiveness and restoration through Christ, mm. uh, just like we all have. And uh, Christ paid the penalty for all of our sins uh, to, to justify our lives and, and I know I'm thankful for that personally. Um, so these women need that same uh, healing and restoration and, and I would say even those around them that are involved need the same too. Um, so justice is a major theme in the Bible and uh, the, there's really none weaker and more voiceless than the preborn baby. And the woman who's in a crisis pregnancy is very vulnerable and oppressed. So each one of us can help, you know, can do something to help bring justice to all of these people. Yeah, so how would you, maybe you have this opportunity to encourage the congregation, like um, in this particular issue, like some specific ways they could maybe intervene. Um, how would you do, encourage them to do that? Well, first of all, pray and read your Bible. That's how the Holy Spirit works to convict our hearts. And um, so those practices are very important. Um, you know, the Spirit will let you know if, if He's calling you. Uh, if He does call you, then be willing to obey. Um, and then there are things that anyone can do, uh, and probably all of us should do a little bit of. And um, one thing is just educate yourself. Find uh, trustworthy sources of information. I know Kansans for Life tries to be a truthful and trustworthy source, so that's one, one area you can go to. Um, we, uh, you can sign up for our emails at kfl.org. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X. And we also just started a podcast called On the Right Side of History with Kansans for Life. And um, all of these things will help you just to keep up on what's going on, current events, uh, legislation that might be 
you know, being considered that you may want to weigh in on with your voice. Um, candidates are running for office where they stand. We can help with that. Um, so there's a lot of just information out there that you can access. Um, having knowledge of life in the womb and the humanity of the preborn child is important. Um, finding out who in our community uh, is working on these issues and what resources are available. Um, Kansans for Life keeps a list of pregnancy resource centers and um, we'll have that list out at our table in the lobby if you'd like to pick that up afterwards. It's good to have that because if someone around you does get into a crisis situation, then you'll know where to go for help. Um, in addition, you can use your voice when you have the opportunity. The Bible tells us to um, speak up for those who have no voice. Um, it's important to talk about this issue, especially if it can save a life. Um, if you get our emails, KFL will notify you if there's a, a bill that's being uh, considered in the legislature, and we can help you with communicating with your legislator to, you know, ask them to pass good, compassionate laws. Um, this year, KFL is working on uh, passing several bills. And uh, one of them is, uh, is uh, about protecting girls and women from coerced abortion or human trafficking. And, um, and there are several others we're going to be putting forth, too. So if you want your, your voice heard, you know, you can use um, the KFL tools to communicate with your legislator. Um, and then, you know, just being a voice with your family, friends, and neighbors who might find themselves in a situation like that, and here again, giving support and encouragement and hope to those individuals. Um, you can consider, maybe you might wanna run for office and be one of those people who works to um, you know, change the laws. Um, if not, maybe you wanna support someone else who is running for office. I know we have a few right here in this congregation who serve in public office. I know they would greatly appreciate any support. Um, you can also volunteer just your time and talents with an organization, um, not only KFL, but other compassion organizations like uh, Embrace and Choices here in our community. I know they would greatly appreciate any help. Um, they work to save not only preborn lives, but they work with the, the mothers and the families too, to give them support. And perhaps, like Darren mentioned earlier, consider being a foster parent, consider adopting a child like Darren and Karen are doing. Um, and I'll tell you another area of service that I think is often overlooked, and that is just educating and mentoring our young people to understand God's plan for relationships and marriage and um, just encouraging our young people to follow God's plan for them. Um, and that's, that's pretty much it. And I just wanna thank you all for this opportunity to share my experience today. Um, Kansans for Life does have a table out in the lobby. You can pick up information there or ask questions. We'll have people there. Um, for me, it's just been an amazing experience uh, to see how God can just use an ordinary person to make a difference. And so maybe he wants to use some of you too.
Thank you. Thanks, Mary. Appreciate it. Oh, you need that. Thanks. Appreciate it. As we, as we close our, our time, again, I, I want to just reemphasize like, why I, I wanted to have Mary up here. And um, one, because I'm sure you get tired of listening to me all the time. But the other reason is, is because it's really important for us to see um, that you don't, you don't have to be some special human. And I'm not saying Mary's not special. Um, but you don't have to be some like, a super Christian to just take a step. And, and, and the Lord, sometimes when you just take a step, will continue take you on a path that you never anticipated and you never thought uh, possible. And, and God has called us to care about these things. He's call, care, called us to care about injustices. He's called us to care about the poor and the sick and the hurting. And we're called to, to intervene wherever and however um, he calls us to do that. And so um, I want to encourage us as we close our time, for us in this room that have, that have experienced the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, who have been called out of darkness into light, who have been brought out of that um, space of injustice, and we've begun to experience what it is to really follow after Christ's ways and see the life that is there and see the hope that is there, not only in our own lives but the world. Um, like for you, consider how can you intervene? And maybe it's the person that's wounded at the grocery store. Maybe it's stepping into something like Kansas for Life. Maybe it's uh, all kinds of different things that you could do. Giving some money to the poor person that's on the side of the road. How can you be faithful to intervene and do it consistently? Be faithful to intervene in those injustices. And if you're in the space this morning and you don't know Jesus, like I just cannot end um, this morning without calling you uh, to, to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Like, you know, listen, you know life is not the way that you want it to be. Like, you know it's not. And, and Jesus has come to save and to redeem. And all of your sins and all of your debts have been paid for and can be paid for through the blood and work of Jesus Christ. And we definitely want to present the opportunity for you uh, to find that grace and mercy and to be conformed into the image of Jesus so that you can experience what it's like to be in his righteous ways and to experience life with him. And so this morning as we close our time, um, uh, we're going to sing just um, maybe, Ryan, one verse of a song, um, and then he's going to lead us in a benediction. I know we're on just a touch late, um, but he, he's going to do that. And if you're somebody who wants to talk with somebody, uh, you want to pray with someone, maybe you've experienced an abortion or you've had one and you want to pray and talk with somebody, you may not feel comfortable to do it during this song, and that's totally fine. Um, I would invite you to come and talk to somebody after the service. Um, come talk to myself or somebody else that will be up here, one of the prayer counselors. Um, if you want to talk to somebody about Jesus, this is a great opportunity for you to do so as well uh, after the service. We want to be available to do that. Um, with that being said, let me pray, and then Ryan's going to lead us in a song. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for the privilege of, um, of being a people who have been uh, redeemed, people that have been brought out of um, injustice and, and brought into your graces and experience what it is to walk in your ways. I pray, Lord, that we would be like David who would say, like, um, your ways are beautiful. They're, they're like honey to our lips. Like, um, it, it's like uh, your ways are like a lamp into our path, like that we would truly see the beauty of being obedient and following the way you've made us to be. Uh, but Father, I also pray that you would give us compassionate, broken hearts. Anytime we see the wounds and the pain and the damage and the hurt that is caused by the injustices of people not walking in your ways. 
people doing what is right in their own eyes. And may we seek to intervene by the power of your spirit. Pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear your spirit and you would give us boldness to step into those spaces, Father. We pray and ask these things in your name. Amen.